from Boss Track, It's Her Hype Squad, a show about amazing women who've made incredible strides as leaders in their industry. They're here to support you and your leadership growth, to encourage you and hype you up as part of your Hype Squad. Hello, and welcome back to a new episode of Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. I'm your host, Michelle Harris. This week, I talk with Suzanne Abdurrahman about thinking outside the box, being curious, coaching leadership, and having the courage to speak up. We also get into a discussion about the value of mentorship. Suzanne has so much great experience and advice to share, but before we get into our conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Suzanne. Suzanne is the IT Director of the Project Management Office at Whitecap. In her own words, she was born to remove barriers, share knowledge, and support primarily underdogs. She says she accidentally fell into IT and subsequently project management, but in retrospect, it's where she belonged this whole time. If you enjoy my conversation with Suzanne, be sure to subscribe to our channel and help more people find us by sharing this episode with others or by leaving a review or subscribe to our weekly newsletter filled with things we found that we're excited about and were inspired by, along with valuable leadership advice to watch, listen to, or read. It's a little bit of joy for your inbox each Monday. You can subscribe at www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. Now let's get into my conversation with Suzanne Abdurrahman. Hi, Suzanne. It's so nice to see you. I'm so glad to have you join us for this episode of Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. Thank you for being here. Yeah, of course, Michelle. I'm super excited and maybe a little nervous, but happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I, I know as soon as we start talking, those nerves will those nerves will disappear. I would love it if we could start by you telling the audience a little bit about yourself so they could get to know who you are. All right. Um, my elevator pitch, huh? All right. So if we're riding up one floor, I'd probably just tell you that I'm the director of our project management office, basically my job title. Um, if we have a few more floors to go up, I would elaborate and say that I manage a team that helps business leaders successfully complete um, large complex um, projects and I have the privilege of being a co-chair for my company's Women in Construction ERG. If we're going up to the top of that penthouse, I cheer that I'm an immigrant who came from a country that a lot of people wouldn't say exists, Palestine. I was a single mom of two when I went to college and got my bachelor's degree in three and a half years, majoring in business administration and minoring in management information systems. I chose to go into IT by, believe it or not, surveying the parents at the daycare I used to work at. I would literally stop them as they came to pick up their kids and ask them what they did for a living. I got my first job in IT after graduating um, with the help of then governor. He was a guest speaker at a nonprofit organization that eventually I became the first female president of in its 25 plus years of existence. And finally, because it's the most important thing and my favorite title, I'm a grandma of two, Adam, who is three, and Yada, who's one. That's my elevator pitch. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. A grandmother. So I, I just really want to commend you for going to school with as a single mom of two kids. We share that somewhat in common because I was a single mom of one 
when I was in college and I know how hard that is. I can't even imagine having two that you were taking care of at the same time. Yeah, I had great family support too. So I, I got to give credit, right, to them, my my parents. And then I had a couple of younger siblings that were teenage years and they helped to take care of my kids. So kudos to them. I really owe them a lot. Yeah, community and support is so important. It's a village, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> And I want to say too that I love your LinkedIn. I hope that everybody checks that out after we, that after they listen to our talk because you have such great videos that you share on yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, and that was actually me forcing myself to come out of my comfort zone to do yeah. those videos. So, yeah, I mean, I coach others to do that and so, you know, practice what you preach. Well, speaking outside or speaking of coming outside of your comfort zone, I know one of the things we were going to talk about was thinking outside of the box and it's something I know that you are passionate about. And uh, I'd love for you to talk about what do you feel the value of that is in for people that are in a corporate uh, type position? You know, I think there's a lot of value in thinking outside of the box, coming up with outside of box ideas. It's not only beneficial to the company's ROI, but an individual's ROI. Your self-confidence grows. And I'll give you an example, right, of an out-of-the-box idea that I had that solved a business problem that helped to grow my confidence. And this goes back many employments ago. I worked for a company that they got paid for proving that they provided a service to an unemployed individual prior to that person getting a job within an allocated time period. And although we provide various career services, the only one we truly tracked was a meeting that the job seeker had with a case manager. One day I was at the library with my young kids at that time. And during our visit, we used the computer and we checked out books with, of course, that unique number that's on that library card. And I thought, I wonder if we can take this concept and apply it at the career center. Now, mind you, I wasn't in leadership and I was part of IT and it wasn't a problem that I had to solve or even my department had to solve. It was just something that I thought more and more about and you know, really thought it was a great idea. So I took it to leadership and thankfully they thought it was a great idea and they thankfully gave me the opportunity to execute on this idea. And so basically what we did is we assigned our job seekers this card with this unique number and asked them to swipe in when they use any of our services like the computer, the printer, attended any of our seminars, met with our caseworkers. Not only were we able to then go back and track that we provided a service to that job seeker within that allotted time, but we were able to go back and look at the services we offered and seeing saw which ones were really not being used and we really probably should swap out for something else. That was such a great success that it was eventually rolled out to other career centers across the United States. Um, and for me, it was one of my first memorable out of the box experiences that truly boosted my self-confidence, which helped me to grow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I really think, you know, out of the box thinking is really valuable. At what, what point of that career, of your career, did that happen? You know, that was one of my, 
one of my first professional jobs, right? It was a couple of years into that job. It wasn't like the first day that I landed there, but it was my first professional big girl job after I graduated college. Wow. Wow. So that was really early on that you yeah. learned that, yeah, the I was value fortunate. of that. Yeah. yeah. And I was fortunate because again, you know, it helped to build my self-confidence that I can execute something out of the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is hard for some people to think creatively. Some people are able to see things in a, a way and be able to see around that and look for opportunities. But other people, that's not as easy for them. As a leader, how do you try to instill that thinking, thinking outside the box with your team? You know, one of my go-to strategies is I encourage my team and even those that I coach to be comfortable in asking questions and inspired to learn. I have to be honest, for my team members, I actually require them to be like that. And it's, it's simple, right? It's just asking the why and the what if questions. I encourage my team members, my direct reports and their direct reports to kind of step out of their knowledge area and learn elsewhere. You know, I, I really believe that you learn more from outside your industry than from within your industry, like my library story, right? Inside our industry, People are generally doing the same thing and getting the same results. And they believe if it ain't broke, why fix it? But outside of our industry, we see different ways of thinking, ways of doing things that you can ask, what if we did that here? And with a little molding, you could solve, right, for a problem. So the strategy, I think I really teach my team and encourage them is just to look around and ask the why and the what if questions. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple of questions from that. One is when you say you require that, or is that part of your hiring process when you're hiring for your team, you're looking for that specifically? So, yeah, you know, I I actually now look for someone who is solution-minded opposed to just being able to put together a creative problem statement, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I actually learned that back when I was at that first employment and I had to walk into the COO's office and tell her that there was this problem. And if she listens to this podcast, she's going to know exactly who she is, right? And I remember um, that she kind of looked up from her desk and said to me, okay, well, what are our three options? What are the options, right? And I was like, well, we can do whatever you want. And she's like, Mm. no, you're the expert. What are the options? And what are the pros and cons? And I was like, kind of like a deer in a headlight. That actually taught me like, to always think of solution, right? And not just come out the problem. So now when I say I require, yeah, when I hire, I ask certain questions to see how they would come up with an answer and if they would, or if it would be, well, I would check with so-and-so and I would ask so-and-so what they'd want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that. And that's great advice that anybody listening can take as a part of leading their team is you hire your team for a reason, you hire them for their expertise, and um, you don't want to be the one telling them what to do. You want them to be offering those solutions to you and because that's how they continue to grow in their role as well. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And then I was wondering when you said you encourage people to kind of leave their 
industry to kind of see different things. Like maybe you can give an example of your, your specific industry or in IT or what, what do you incur? Like if somebody came to you and said, well, what does that look like for me? What do I, what should I go get involved in? Or what should I go do? Are there things like ideas that you have for that? Yeah. I mean, it could be simple as, you know, I run the project management office. Right. And so my folks, I would encourage them maybe go job shadow in a different department, right. Mm-hmm. And learn finance, learn construction, learn what's going on that. It could be go do basket weaving. You might think of something while you're doing basket weaving. There's some concept in basket weaving, right? It's not limiting yourself to be, I have to go find ways that work into my job, right? It's really just, even that is really being out of the box thinking and being open to new ideas that may come about. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, basket weaving. (laughs) (laughs) I I used to say, I'm so interested in learning that if there was a course on underwater basket weaving, I would take that. <laughs> underwater basket weaving. I love that. <laughs> I love it. There might be one here in Miami. So I'll have to I better check be careful what I say, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Some of the things that you see come up, but I, I love it because in one way, it's like, okay, anything to make money, like to have these classes, but also... It's unique things to get involved yeah. in and learn. I mean, I you know, not underwater basket weaving, but like, <laughs> so that's true. There you go. So that's an idea for somebody out in the audience that they could take and, and implement. So part of thinking creatively is I imagine when you come up with ideas, they're sometimes met with resistance because you are thinking, yeah, outside the box and like, in ways that people aren't not automatically, their brains are not automatically going there. Have you ever had a time where you came up with an idea and it was met with resistance? And what did that look like? So Michelle, remember, I'm a woman in a male-dominated industry. (laughs) True, Um, yes. (laughs) So I would say like 90% of the individuals I work with alongside four are men. So at the beginning... All my ideas, conventional or unconventional, are met with resistance. And more so now, because recently my job title has been director of project management, right? So people assume all I know is how to manage people who track tasks. My -hmm. colleagues don't know that I grew up in IT. And so generally these men don't have much faith in my technology or ideas, they invite me to meetings out of, I don't know, an unstated force requirement because I'm a director. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in these meetings, and I'm sure a lot of women can attest to this, that you know you get a lot of mansplaining and not being allowed to interject. And all I want to do is scream, I know more than you, buddy. Let me speak. <laughs> but I stay calm and professional I want to keep my job, right? But assertive and eventually I interject, right? And the next thing that happens, it's always the same. The shock look on their faces, right? And it never gets old to me. I, I love it till today. But that's how I handle resistance to my ideas. I show my true value at the onset so that whether they're conventional or unconventional, they become sought after. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So no, I appreciate that you brought that up. And that is something that it's, that is of course a theme that I hear from our guests here. And when you say like you will wait for the right time and of course be assertive, how do you, what would you say to somebody coming to you and asking, like, I can't tell if I'm being overly assertive, that it's coming across mm-hmm. as aggression or I'm being assertive or it's not working. So maybe I'm not being, maybe I'm not being assertive enough. Like how, how do you suggest that women in particular find that balance? I would say ask, right. Other people that are in the meetings, right. That share, you know, meetings with you, men and women, right. Cause you want to get both sides, right. Cause they have different perspectives and let them know that you're comfortable with whatever the response is that you're help. They're helping you out. But honestly, that's how I would, you know, do it. And that's what I recommend is just seek honest feedback and don't wait for it. Cause sometimes it'll never come because a man may be feeling sensitive. They don't want to say, because they may be judged that, you know, they're viewing this the wrong way or whatever. And then women, for whatever reason, they have their own reasons. They don't want to say anything. So it's really up to the individual. Just go up and ask and poll people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. And when you're thinking about how to thinking for like newer leaders or, you know, even people that are not in a leadership position, um, when you're in a meeting and you do have an idea or a thought, it's always, it can be awkward sometimes just to know when to interject when you're not being welcomed into the conversation. So how, how do you, like, what do you look for to be able to assert yourself? So for me, and I think I'm fortunate, you know, I, I've now been an experienced leader, you know, years of leading and stuff. So I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable, but what I, w- I would say for folks is that if you're going into a meeting and you have ideas, right? Usually we have an agenda, right? There's an agenda that's prepared and whatnot, and you know the topic. And if you have ideas and you feel like you're not given the opportunity, right? Partner up with somebody to say, hey, in that meeting, can you kind of help me out and get me a door, right? And as a fellow leader, we need to be aware and look around the room, right? So even though we're a virtual environment right now, I know at least at my company, we require to have the camera on, right? So I'm always looking around on the Zoom, you know, audience members. And I would say like, hey, looks like Michelle has something to say, right? Sometimes ping the person like, Suzanne, I got something to say. Give me give me an entrance way, right? You, you have to take some of that ownership on for yourself. You know, you can't just say, well, they didn't let me figure out a way right? Be creative. That's even coming up with the out-of-the-box ideas, right? Be creative. Partner up with somebody, ping them during the meeting. They have the little icons, raise your hand, and then just say, hey, I hate to interrupt, but before we move on to the next topic, right? I wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah, that's good because the further, the difficulty is the further you get out from that conversation, the more awkward it is to bring it up. Yeah. Uh, so don't wait till the very end of the meeting when everybody is like, okay, I think we're wrapping up. And then they're like, wait a second. I wanted to ask a question about something we talked about 30 minutes ago. You don't want to be that person when everybody's like ready to log off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it is, it is hard. And I, and I, I like what you said about the leader's responsibility or the person leading the team's response or the meeting's responsibility to make sure that you're asking for the voices and um, 
giving everybody that opportunity. I like that. And I think it's something in meeting etiquette that needs to be addressed more than I think it is. I think it's overlooked quite a bit. I, I agree, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know like how the environment you're in currently, but a lot of businesses have a lot of structure built into them. Do you find that that's at odds with being able to be creative? And in my, in the organization I'm currently at, no. And I can say this generally across the board and project management and even in tech support, those services are primarily structure and process-based. And fortunately, in my role as a leader of a department, I had the luxury of being allowed to create my own structure right, and ideas on how I want to run my department. However, sometimes, including currently, uh, my creative ideas on how I run my department are challenged. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, I'm okay with that, right? I love to be challenged. I feel that if folks care enough to learn the process, then they should be allowed to challenge the reasons behind that process, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm open to new ideas. And actually, I elicit feedback from the users of my services. The services we provide are value-added services. So I need to make sure that if something's not working, we address them. My project managers are told that if somebody comes up to them and says, yeah, I really don't see the benefit of doing this process, right? then, okay, ask them, first explain to them why we do the process, make sure that they understand. And if they understand, sometimes they'll say, oh, okay, well, now that I know that, I get it, we can do that. But sometimes even after we explain the process, they still say, yeah, that's still not going to work here. And here's why. Mm -hmm. So my project manager is empowered to say, well, you know what, the modification that you're asking for is not going to affect the project. So let's go ahead and make that adjustment. Let's be creative and figure out how to solve for that. And if my project manager is not sure, they take it up one level to their program manager. And then my program manager has the same empowerment, right? Assess the situation, be creative in solving it. That's how I handle having a process, yet being creative and allowing others around me to be creative. Mm -hmm. Like that. When you mentioned that you have ideas on how you want to run your team and they're not always, would you mind sharing some of them? Because I think that's something that can help other leaders that are listening think creatively about how they're leading their own teams. So about how some of my processes are that are, that are challenged or? Just like you had mentioned that you have thoughts on the way you want to lead your team and that's sometimes challenged. Are there specific things about the way you want to lead your team? Is it? I think it's on what I want my team to do and be responsible for. So as an example, I'd want them to play a stronger role in the project, Hmm. right? And some some stakeholders really want to use project managers more of a coordinator and scribe, like just take notes. And so when I sit there and say, no, I want my project manager to lead that conversation. I want my project manager to actually coordinate that and collect that information and do X, Y, Z. Those are the things that sometimes I get challenged because people don't want to give up their control, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And then there's certain things that we do in project management 
that seem rigorous, right? Um, collecting documentation, you know, making sure things are done. So we have that project record. And some folks don't feel like, why are we doing that? We're wasting time, right? Even simply getting detailed requirements gathering at the beginning. People just want to jump in the project. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. We need to get these detailed requirements, get that all flushed out first, then we can go here. It's really getting them to buy in, especially when in this company that I'm at, although the project management office has been around for a few years, they haven't used them in the right way, the right capacity. So now like I'm coming in new about a year and four months here, I think so. And there's still growing pains, right? And so it is finding that balance, right? That what's best for the company mm-hmm. or, you know, and it, every company is unique. Again, I'm talking about project management. Every company is unique in the services um, and it's baby steps, but there's certain things that you don't want to flex on and you just have to explain that why and hope that people come along. But again, my department is a value added service. We really need that buy-in from our users to be just successful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other topic we could really dive into is the buy-in and change management and all that. All part of, all part of project management too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, we talked, you hint, you touched on it a little bit about being a woman and having your ideas not necessarily taken seriously. Do you think, one, is it harder as a minority woman? Can you talk a little bit about that? And also, what would you suggest for people that are like women, minority women, like how to have the courage and bravery to really push for what you believe in? I definitely think it's harder for minority women. Hmm. I tell my fellow minority women to not shy away from showing their worth and speaking up to believe in themselves and their ability to have that self-confidence. I tell them what I used to tell myself and I still tell myself, right? That it's not, when you speak up, it's not about being right. You know, right? Proof in point is we're sitting in these meeting and the men in the room and even the non-minority women in the room aren't always right, but they don't hesitate in speaking up and sharing their ideas. Yeah. And they're all saying and thinking the same thing. Instead of thinking we're less than because we're a minority or we don't have the same leg up as others in the room, we need to go in with the mindset that because we're a minority, that's our leg up. Yeah. No one has that creative ideas that we have because they never had our experiences. They don't see it the way we do. They see it like everyone else. And most likely that's probably why they're still stuck in this problem solving session. So my recommendation to my fellow minority women are is to speak up and have self-confidence and don't always worry about being right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. And it's it's, it's so true, even on the other side for leaders hiring and making sure that they're considering diversity in their hires and all kinds of diversity, because you really get that difference in background and like different thought, thought leadership coming in and your business becomes all that more stronger because you have those different voices and different perspectives that you're listening to and taking in. So, so I think there's a responsibility in leadership too. And of course, in a perfect world to encourage people like you to have the courage to speak up on the other side as well. 
Yeah. Until then, it's up to the few yeah. of us who are doing coaching and mentoring to get those folks out there. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So I'm glad you brought up coaching. So I know we talked a little bit about having a coaching leadership style and um, you talked a little bit about that. You touched on that a little bit earlier too. Like, what do you think the value is in actually approaching your leading your team as, as a coach? Michelle, I'm embarrassed to say, and I have to say this because I know if somebody who knew me way back in the day would be like, what? She's a coach. What? I was not always like this, right? So earlier in my life, I had no problem telling people what to do. I think, no, I know I had a chip on my shoulder where I had to prove that I was smarter and tougher than others. I had trust issues. And that's probably because as a young immigrant, um, I got fooled and laughed at one too many times. Yeah. Maybe because as the oldest daughter, I felt responsible for my brothers and sisters and my parents that I formed a habit of telling them what to do so they wouldn't get hurt. But on the flip side, I hated and still hate to today people telling me what to do. Yeah. You, I mean, a lot of people probably say, I've heard her say, don't tell me what to do, right? So a hypocrite. But thankfully, I got wiser through reading leadership books listening to podcasts, um, watching TEDx talks. I saw the error in my ways and realized I had to put my trust issues aside because I was preventing the development and the creativity of those that I led and myself. Plus, we kind of talked about this. I hated micromanaging. Yeah, It's draining, right? So when I finally woke up and I started coaching and being a true leader, I saw so much happen. The people flourished, and then they helped me to flourish personally and professionally. In general, I, I, I really feel that people want to do more and be more. They're just not given the opportunity or guidance. And I believe that leaders are made, not born. And through coaching, mentoring, we produce those leaders. And that's the advantage I believe coaching leadership provides, producing more leaders. Yeah. What is coaching leadership? look like to you? You know, for, for me, everything I go back to when I say what I, you know, thinking out of the box and all that, it's all back to saying, you know, the why or like, what is it that you want and why and what's holding you back and why and what are your fears, right? So for me, you know, coaching leadership is just being that sounding board, right? Mm -hmm. And, and just helping that individual find their true why and what's holding them back. Back in my day, I can tell you that I was like an advice monster, right? And I would, instead of listening to you, I would just say, okay, this is what you should do. Go do that, right? And one day my uh, younger sister was calling and venting about something. And I said, okay, this is what you should say and do. And she's like, yeah, I already know what I'm going to do. I just wanted to talk about it, right? So, yeah, I feel like, you know, everybody has their individual reasons to become a business leader and you just really got to work with them individually and become, a, I, 
I don't know if it's a therapist, but like letting them peel that onion, their individual onion, right? And mm -hmm. finding out what they really want to do and why making sure that it's not because it was expected at this stage of my life, I should be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I do want to say that I can relate to being the oldest daughter and thinking that I know best and having to to shift into that different mentality of like thinking that I know best. It sounds like this was more recent finding for you that like coaching leadership was the better approach to take. Can you recall a time where you were like still in transition and maybe you didn't take the approach that you wanted to take in coaching? Yeah, I, honestly, I think my turning point was that conversation with my younger sister. Okay. You know, when she was like, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I already have a game plan. And then I started thinking, how often do I do that? And when do I do that? And then I realized I do it all the time. And I, I, I stopped. I figured out that there's got to be a better way. So I am, I am passionate about learning. So like I've been self-taught. So I'm reading books is constantly on my, you know, my focus, right? I'm always reading books. I'm always listening to podcasts. I'm watching TEDx talks and, and I want to grow and learn. And it was that point that when she brought that to my attention, that I started focusing on what is a true leader and what is a coach and what is a mentor that I started learning oh, this is a better way to do it. Asking the why and, you know, supporting and not being judgmental. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So shout out to my young sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So this is the question, I guess. I think it's always so interesting when you read something and you see the light on something or you suddenly have the epiphany, like you want to be a certain way or do something. I think people that don't necessarily have the experience and confidence can feel a little awkward making that change if it might feel abrupt or people start might question like wait what is going on what is like how did you it was it for you you just came in one day and said this is how I'm leading or is it just gradually you started to kind of talk to people differently how what did uh, that look was, like for you yeah it was definitely gradual because it was uncomfortable for me. That wasn't my normal, right? Yeah. And I was learning. And so I was testing. I might apply a little bit of something I learned from a book or a podcast here. Could be a simple statement, right? It could be a simple way that I, I delivered an email or something, right? I I would just do little steps that I think eventually just became a habit. And so I don't think it shocked anybody eventually because it was just a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. And when I started becoming my true self of this true leader, I think they kind of got used to it and I got used to it and I get comfortable with it. And I still do that now, right? I might learn something new. I'll gradually, you know, apply it just so I can get comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, oh, and I, I want to say, I like when you said about the tiny, making those tiny, tiny changes and then building up. I've, I know I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but there's a book called tiny habits. And it's the same thing where it's just like making those tiny adjustments and tiny changes. And over time, it just becomes exponentially bigger. And suddenly you're able to make a change based on just those tiny little, you know, adjustments that you did. Yeah. There was like something I saw on LinkedIn, like 
some math equation somebody did that if it was like this small percentage, you would end up having this much of a change where if you did nothing but something, it was just amazing that calculation. You're like, oh yeah. So a little bit here, a little bit there. And yeah. What do they say? Like 18 minutes a day over, I don't know how many periods become an expert. So it's not even, you got to do hours a day. It's just small little Mm -hmm. chunks of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And it's something I think even I know that and sometimes it's just hard when you think of of the big picture, like it's over, can be overwhelming. And I guess that becomes, that's also an important strategy and this is going off in a different direction, but like breaking things down into very small chunks so that it isn't overwhelming. If you have this big goal that you need, like what is the first step that you need to take and just focus on what that step and then what's the next step but breaking it I'm sure like as a project in project I was gonna say here <laughs> we we do that all the time right in our professional life but let, let me uh tell you that in my personal life I do the same thing if I have a I'm hosting an event Thanksgiving right my family will laugh at me because I literally will write out a project plan and all the little tasks right so I gotta go shopping gotta prepare this gotta clean the bathroom gotta do that that and they'll laugh at me, but I'm like, that's just how my mind works. And I feel like when I break it down like that, right, I just feel like I could handle it. Then if to say, I got to do all this within the next week before these people come over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, I do the same thing. I was um, actually keeping a notion list and I realized that I was just a better off um, and that's probably because I'm more old school, but having it in front of me, like written down on a piece of paper. And uh, so I feel bad uh, admitting to that here. Um, I'm just like it's interesting. Old, old school, yeah. book and pen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Book, yeah, book and pen. I don't know why I'm, you know, I get it. The technology's out there, one note and all that, but mm-hmm. book in hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know, it's just easier for me. But um, well, I wanted to touch a little bit on a mentorship. I know it's getting late in our conversation. You obviously place value in mentorship because you brought it up a few times. What is the value of somebody having a mentor? And yeah, maybe we could start with that question. I'd love to get your perspective on that. I, I think that there's a great value in somebody having a mentor. Unfortunately, I didn't have a mentor right? Or a coach. And I saw the toll that took on, that, you know, was placed on me because I had to self-teach myself. And sometimes I get sad because I think about if I had that coach or mentor, could I have been further along in my career, right? Mm-hmm. Could I have uh, not been that advice monster yeah. um, early on? And so I could have helped maybe more people come along, but you know, I go back to saying that, you know, leaders are made, not born. And so by coaching and mentoring, you're really growing our leader base. Um, you know, and let's face it, you have like self-fulfillment too. At least I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think uh, makes a good mentor? What what, it, what qualities do you think are are most valuable in that? I would say to not be judgmental, listening, be empathetic. I'm trying to think. Um, Being curious. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, you know, th th to me, those are great qualities to being a good mentor. And you just want to be open. Yeah. And are you, um, you, you provide mentorship then yourself? And what oh, if you do, like, how did you find those opportunities? If somebody is listening and say, and they do want to give back and be a mentor, where did you find those opportunities? You know, honestly, for me, mentoring and coaching, I, I see them as two different things, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When I coach somebody, it's generally because they're my direct report, right? So I had that responsibility. Mm -hmm. I will coach folks that come to me, right? And that's okay. They, those folks that I'm coaching, whether they're my direct reports or those that come to me, it's because they want to stay in their, their current role. They just want to get better. When it comes to mentoring, I don't go out and seek mentees. I think that's a responsibility for the mentee, mm -hmm. right? For them to say, yeah, I want this and I'm going to go out and ask for it. So I won't be a mentor to anybody who doesn't come and ask me. And when they do, we, we'll do like, you know, a session to make sure that what they're looking for and what they think a mentor is, right, is something I can deliver and, you know, that our personalities, you know, we vibe together and whatnot. But that's really how I go about mentoring versus coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Not seeking out men mentees and yeah. coaching my direct reports. Obviously, it's my responsibility. So, well, I like that. Uh, a question. What do you look for when somebody asks you to be their mentor? Is there an approach that you like to see? Because I mean, they, you know, there's always that discussion, like, don't, don't, don't just email somebody and say, I want to pick your brain. What do you look for when you decide that's what you, you will have that meeting? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I, I don't think I ever turned down anybody to meet with them. And mm -hmm. I think that's just a personality trait of mine. I always, you know, will meet with somebody, listen to them. I'm big on that why question, right? And why do you think you need a mentee? And why do you think I should be your mentee? And, you know, why do you want to grow? And why? Keep going, keep going, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm looking for is to see if they put thought to it. And if they didn't put thought to it, but are willing to go back and say, you know what, those are great questions. Can I have time? And I want to think about it. To me, that means that they're committed. But if they come back and like, well, I don't know. Well, what do you think I should do? Da, da, da. And like, this is like a two-way street, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to be just as committed. There's no magic pill. There's nothing I'm going to say that's going to get you to the top of that ladder, right? You have to be committed. And it's hard work, you know, not physical hard work, but like going in and diving into yourself, Right and assessing yourself and then changing, that's hard work. Mm -hmm. It's emotional, it's hard work. And so that person, I, I, you know, explain that to them and tell them that if they're up for the challenge and there's going to be accountability and homework and all that stuff. And there's got to be something that proves, right? Again, I guess goes back to my leadership project management KPIs. Like, how do I know that you're progressing? How do, how do we know that we're working together? Right? Yeah. And if they're committed and they understand, we progress and we keep assessing. Hmm. Oh, I like the idea of having KPIs for your mentorship sessions. <laughs> Bring Project in. management. I can't <laughs> yeah. get out of it. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good one. That's actually a good one. I mean, it's a, I don't, I can't think of the quote offhand, but like you don't, what you, if you don't measure, you'll know, 
oh yeah i don't even know what the quote yeah. is like you, you can't solve what never you don't achieve. measure or something yeah oh, you know. you'll never yeah. achieve what you don't measure i mean yeah. something like, yeah. like that so that's i'm sure they, your listeners will you know ping you with it it's this michelle yeah, I'll make sure that I actually find it for the show notes and give it the right attribution because that's another thing I'm not doing here. But anyway, you mentioned that you don't have, you never had a mentor. Did you find other avenues and that you would consider kind of provided what a mentor would have given you? Yeah, self-taught, reading leadership books, listening to podcasts, watching TEDx talks, you know, just when I go to a conference, networking and asking people questions and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That's how I had to accommodate for not having a coach or a mentor. And again, I'll say it was hard because that's accountability that's on me and I had to do on my own. Mm -hmm. And because of that, that's, I think what led me into saying, well, I want to offer this to other people. Mm -hmm. so that they don't have to have the same struggles that I had. And maybe that isn't one-on-one sessions with them, or maybe that's indirectly through my LinkedIn post you mentioned. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. You, uh, I mean, I failed to mention that when, I mean, hopefully people will check them out, but with each of your, the videos that you do, you have this great um, advice, like people can definitely learn from uh, actually reading what you post with the videos. So I, I love that you do that. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And um, I, I, yeah, I wish, uh, I don't know, like, I don't know, LinkedIn is sometimes people don't think of using it cre creatively and they feel like they have to be very businesslike, but I think there's value in some entertainment added and it helps there we go. people Out learn. of the box thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You mentioned books and podcasts. Is there maybe one or two books or podcasts that you would recommend to new leaders in the audience to dig into or something you read recently that you just thought was very valuable that you'd want to kind of suggest or recommend? Um, yeah. I just finished reading Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. Um, I think it's by Robert Cialdini. I found a lot of insight in there. I actually, I liked it so much. I sent it to our chief sales officer and recommended that maybe he share it without, with some of his team leaders. That was a really good read and just learning on how to approach getting people to come your way to influence them. Mm -hmm. um, and then for po podcast, big, I mean, Fan of uh, Boss Track, of course, no doubt. And then the other one is uh, Coaching Real Leaders with Muriel Wilkins. Mm -hmm. I really like that one. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, giving us a shout out there. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll definitely look. I, I actually have not heard of the other podcast. So I'll definitely take a, take a look at that one and um, listen for a few episodes. So. Yeah, it's really good. I think she's got two seasons. She's on hiatus right now. Um, okay. Can't wait till the third season starts. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Is there a uh, routine that you follow morning, night that you attribute your well-being to? So I'm definitely not a morning person. So to prime myself so that you all get the best of me. Yeah. <laughs> I start the day with uh, a cup of strong black coffee and then reading some LinkedIn posts, articles, um, watching a TEDx talk. And then I feel like I'm primed. I'm ready to take the day on. 
So you don't follow the advice of not hopping on your phone. You're, you just hop right in and. So I don't do it on my phone. I do it on my laptop. So is that better? Okay. Okay. I think actually it's fine. I like to think that when they say that it's more like, don't start getting into your emails. I think that's really, I don't know. Yeah. And you know, to each their own, I feel like, Hey, if you're going to be stressed out those 15 minutes that you're just sitting around and you're not able to meditate. I'm not good at meditating. I've tried, right? I, I think everybody has to find what works for them. And so maybe it's, hey, the first 30 minutes, what I like to do is I like to go through my emails without being disturbed and maybe flag them and organize them. I like to just kind of get educated, you know, and learn what's going on, what other people are thinking and doing to each their own, whatever works for you, find that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point because each everybody's different and everybody's going to have a stress response and stress mm-hmm. level that's different. And I think it's a good recommendation not to do that if it's going to like get you stressed and start your day off badly. But if it's something that actually gives you, it gives you calmness and comfort yeah. because you feel like you have a hold on your day, then that's yeah. completely different. And that seems like that would be a valid thing to do in the morning that supports your supports your well-being so I appreciate that perspective and because we don't always get we don't always get that and is there a song do you have a go-to song like if you just need a little bit of energy boost or you need to feel a little more confident do you go to there, there's a few some are Arabic and some are English but it depends on the situation Recently, I've reverted back to an oldie. Oh my God, I think this is like back in the 90s. I can't remember. Is that an oldie? I, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, our, our our children would say these are oldies. Yeah, uh, it's Dido's White Flag. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, I have to say that I did, but I can't think of it offhand. Yeah, it's like, you know, something like, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say the words like, um, it's just like, I will not go down with this ship. I will oh. not put a white flag on my door. Yes, I do know yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, I know she sings it about the whole love reason, but I applied in general. And yeah, I sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep pushing through this. So that's the song I go to. Nice. I like that. I definitely first, definitely first for that one. Yeah, it's so interesting. There's this, uh, I don't know if you uh, have uh, Alexa, but there's like the this game that... Um, I don't even know the name, like name that song or something like that, where you can, I don't know, as as I'm getting ready for dinner, sometimes we're cooking or chopping vegetables, we'll put that on and you just tell it what decade you want. And then it will play a few seconds of the song. And then you have to name the song and the person singing it and you get extra points for naming the person singing it so it's really a fun fun thing to do like when you especially when you have friends over that are you know you're cooking together so I don't know why that made me think about it like because I think you said the 90s being so old (laughs) (laughs) so interesting I have a habit of getting the 80s and 90s mixed up I'm like wait a second wasn't that in the 80s and it ends up being in the 90s so I don't I always think of the 80s song like diamond girl (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Like I have this whole other thing. I just remember like, oh yeah, that genre. And then the nineties is, yeah. Maybe it's what yeah. happened in my life and what I was listening to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is, um, I mean, would you mind sharing one of the Arabic songs that you like? Oh my God. So many. I, I, my, there's this uh, singer 
and I and he's really good, but I also like his backstory. I think that's why he's one of my favorite. His name is Muhammad Asaf. And um, and he sings a song that the title of the song, when you translate it, is like my blood is Palestinian, right? And it just connects you that that's who I am, right? And sometimes I do struggle, you know, being an immigrant. So here, um, you know, I'm just not seen as an American. Oddly enough, when I go back to Palestine, I'm seen as an American. Oh, wow. And yeah. so, like, I really do struggle with that. That's probably a whole nother episode, Michelle. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, so I like that song. And and just really quick, his backstory is that he was didn't get a ticket. He became famous because there was Arab Idol, like we have American Idol, there's uh, okay. Arab Idol. He didn't get a ticket to perform. Some other guy got the ticket that knew him. And he said, you know what? You're better than me. How oh. about you just take the ticket? And he literally, the struggle he had to go through because he was in occupied land to get out, to get there. And so he got there and he performed and he won Arab Idol that season. Wow. And now he's famous. Yeah. Oh, but wow. it, his songs are really good. Really good. Yeah. I'll definitely check him out and I'll include that oh. in the show notes so people can find him as well. Muhammad Asaf. Yeah. Muhammad Asaf. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What is one thing that you bought in the last year that was around $100 or less that you feel has made a difference in your life? So I'm really cheap when it comes to, to buying things for myself, but I'm really giving to others. I just, I don't know. I don't just buy stuff for myself. So thank God you said like $100 or less. I like, I've been really enjoying taking these long walks. And even when we travel abroad, I make it a point that we walk as much as we can so that we could absorb the city or the the village we're in and whatnot. So my husband encouraged me to buy a new pair of sneakers because usually I buy them just from a like a retail box store. And um I did that and honestly I'm I'm loving them. They you know you really do see the difference in the quality and the support in them. That's I think they're on brand. I think the name is on. Oh on okay. Have you heard them? I have. And is it oh. worth it? I know some of them. I know it depends on which model you get. Some can be a mm-hmm. little pricey. So I was wondering yeah. if they were worth it. So you get a I, lot of support. I, yeah, I, I do. And I have really weak ankles. And so the ones that I picked out provide that support. And I also have a very high art. Giving your listeners all this information about me. <laughs> so yes, they're really good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. And thank you for being open. So I, I appreciate that. Well, I think, you know, we're, we're reaching the end and you are, of course, now part of our audience's hype squad. Is there one piece of one last piece of advice or inspiration that you would leave everybody with? For sure. Be open to new experiences. Yeah. Never say that's not my job. Learn, learn, learn. And whenever, whenever you have a chance, give back. Yes, such great advice. Thank you. And great advice to end on, to start and then end. And we mentioned earlier, you're on LinkedIn. If our audience wants to reach out to you, check in on you, uh, see what you're up to, is that the best way? Or like, how, how could they reach out to you? Yeah, for sure. LinkedIn, like I mentioned, I'm there first thing in the morning, multiple days, probably during the day. So yeah, for sure. LinkedIn, feel free just to hit that connect button, send me a message. 
Amazing. Yeah. And I hope everybody does and hope everybody at least follows you for that great Mm -hmm. advice and the mentorship that you can provide from afar. It's uh, definitely something to check out. So Susanna, I appreciate, I really, really appreciate you coming on. This has been a great discussion and definitely a topic that we really haven't had on here. So I really appreciate the insight and your perspective that you've been able to give. I've really enjoyed it. you You put my anxiety at ease, so thank you. (laughs) Great. That's great to hear. Well, I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. This is Michelle again. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit subscribe so you don't miss out on our weekly episodes. And if you're really feeling it, please leave a review. We'd love to have your support. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we share things we're excited about, things we found funny or inspiring, and must-read leadership videos and articles we came across that week. You can subscribe by going to www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. That's www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.